Welcome to this week's episode of Daily Horror Habit, the podcast for horror obsessives. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you horror movie discussions every Friday for your twisted pleasure. And as always, be warned, these discussions may include spoilers. This week continues my series of chats about film adaptations of video games, and it's a first for Daily Horror Habit, as this week we're not chatting about traditional adaptations, but rather animated adaptations of the beloved and revered Dead Space series. My guests and I will be chatting about Dead Space Downfall and Dead Space Aftermath, two films with distinctly different narrative approaches. We'll chat how successful these adaptations are, revel in our love of the original Dead Space, and chat about just how cohesive horror and animation can truly be. And joining me once again to chat adaptations, survival horror, and the dead that won't stay dead is returning friend of the show and staff writer for The Pit, Michael Pemintel. Michael, welcome back to the show, man. Hey, Jay. Always awesome to be here. I'm really excited for this one because I uh, don't ever get to talk about animated horror much. And this is something I've been, been itching to talk about with someone. And I'm just glad to have the opportunity with you. I think you probably have more expertise or at least more experience with animated horror than I do, because in my you know history of horror, really the only thing that comes to mind before I'd seen these Dead Space animated films was Perfect Blue which, you know, some people could argue it's more about the mm. subgenres <laughs> of horror than it being this kind of straightforward horror experience, right? It's more about psychological and whatnot. But I still think that that film does a great job of utilizing animation to tell a story in a way that might even eclipse, you know, traditional filmmaking. Not to say that there have not been plenty of you know, traditional horror films or live action horror films that haven't dabbled in similar types of storytelling, but Perfect Blue stands out as a film that really does utilize the animation style to tell that story with a layer of complexity, but also nuance that just, it feels like the perfect fit. It feels as if, if they tried to make an American remake or even just a live action remake, it would lack so much of what makes that film so special. So I thought we could start by just, you know, share, maybe you could share a couple of uh, examples of, you know, animated horror that have worked for you in the past and, you know, what could be strengths of horror being animated. Meanwhile, I'm sure there might be a shortcoming or two as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for context in regards to this conversation, um, though I'm not someone who likes to quote unquote box myself in when it comes to interest, because I have a whole lot of interest across different art forms and mediums. Um, <clears throat> I absolutely ever since childhood have adored adored animation i am i am the kind of person that like i uh would prefer to watch cartoons than live people things um i i just i've loved it you know i it, it comes from like the fond memories of like mornings before school and then at night watching nickelodeon saturday morning cartoons i i digress but yeah when it comes to animated horror there's a couple of stories that come immediately to mind um most recently is phil tippett's mad god um, which is technically an animated work. It's stop motion, but it, that's also an incredible work of animation. I also have to probably say that when it comes to horror, and I won't harp on too much of what you already said, but my technical favorite animated horror uh, work of horror is Perfect Blue. Uh, I'm a Satoshi Kone just head. I, I fucking love everything that man ever did. Rest in peace. He is absolutely it was he was an incredible talent and yes that movie and for reasons we'll touch upon um it does perfectly no pun intended um utilize animation um and it's very much the approach to realism that cone uses and his team uses throughout that film that makes the animation work so wonderfully um another amazing work of animated horror and it's also another work of stop motion is um the one second i want to pull up yeah the chilean horror film the wolf house fucking a if you have not seen this movie yet go in blind absolutely go in blind um 
I I will just say that it involves a young woman who runs into the forest. She's trying to escape a cult, and it is about her holing up in a house with <laughs> two pigs and hiding from this cult. And it is a and I don't mean to be hyperbolic as shit here, but it is a really captivating nightmare. Um, you know, as as we'll come to discuss, I, I really am blown. I mean, I love the art form of animation, and I think it's just because I am someone who loves to paint, but <laughs> I can't draw to save my life. And it, it's the one art form I wish I could have in my life just to be able to draw and shit. Like I would give up writing to draw. I, I am absolutely amazed by that. And I'm always amazed by how visuals are used to tell a story. And that's, I mean, animation can just, it, there's nothing wrong with it being pretty for the sake of being pretty. Take a look at, um, frankly, the great majority of Burton's or like Henry Selick stuff, films that look incredible, absolutely incredible. And I, and I would argue before I say anything I'm about to say right now, um, the dreamlike like quality of like Selix Coraline or um, Nightmare for Christmas, that animation is used to bring forth a dreamlike essence to these films. Um, but say you take something like I don't know, let me. You take something like uh, <laughs> Monster House. Animation is used in that case just because. It is being marketed as this, like, we want to make it be a kid's horror story. The animation there doesn't do a whole lot of heavy lifting to portray an essence of horror. And that's where I tend to, like, fall off a little. Um, and especially with the case of these Dead Space movies, there's there's a lot of issues when it comes to animation. But there's also some cool stuff that um upon revisiting them because i haven't revisited these movies since they first came out that i was pretty uh intrigued by in revisiting but jay outside of perfect blue are there any other animated horror works that stand out to you in any form of animation so out of touch with talking about animation and horror that i completely disregarded uh something like bad god which as you stated very clearly is a form of animation uh for the horror genre and i would just to add to that, there was a film that came out in 2022 to Netflix called The House, which was a series of, I believe it's anthology style storytelling that revolves around this house and whatnot and the different types of yeah. uh, kind of hijinks, I'll say, that the characters find themselves in. And they all have very different vibes. And it's something that I really appreciate about horror and how malleable it can be that the punchline mm -hmm. or the purpose of each of those stories that are told within the context of that film are not all very overt, overtly horror focused, right? It's not primarily to scare the audience or something like that. It's taking these different sort of elements, how they can play around with the house. And, you know, there are some very creepy moments and unnerving moments in that, but it's more about the unknown. And I think the something that you mentioned in terms of, you know, films that can justify why they had to be animated or the only way that they could be told was through animation rather than this just being something that's like, well, we can we can market this as an animated kids movie. So we're going to do that rather than the genesis of the idea being birthed in the fact that we're going to use animation to tell this story in a way that conventional storytelling on film simply would not be able to do that idea justice. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't just have to be, you mm -hmm. know, the surreal nature of things. It could just be how when you're dealing with something like an anthology storytelling, the animation or the changes in animation, which we'll get into with Dead Space Aftermath, um, it does a great job, I think, of playing against narrative theme in a way that I was not expecting. It might be one of the only things about that film that did work <laughs> for me in a way. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think that speaks to the idea that you can use animation as a narrative tool or a narrative vessel in a way that you yes. simply can't do the same with traditional film. Um, but in getting into Dead Space, uh, let's chat about the original game, which, you know, for me is, and, you know, I've ranted on Safe Room uh, recently about the remake and how phenomenal the remake is. But even in going back and replaying the original for its anniversary, that is such a monumental game for me because I came to that mm. game at a time when I was coming off the heels of Resident Evil 4 for the first time because, you know, I was in these yep. kind of uh, 
periods of breaks from playing games and whatnot, where I'd step away and then I'd come back and I've got all this homework I have to catch up on, which, you know, is actually pretty awesome because you get to throw together a stack of, you know, what is considered to be the 10 out of 10 games for a given year or a stretch of time or whatever. But in coming to Dead Space, it was a game that kind of built off of that Resident Evil 4 identity of merging horror and action in a way that felt more in line with my sensibilities and that, you know, while I can appreciate the Resi uh, B-movie charm and humor in these things, I appreciated the fact that Dead Space was a straight up hardcore rip your head off and show you your spinal column at times uh, yeah. type of horror game that was just so gnarly yeah. and so visceral. Um, and it was just this blending of sci-fi and horror in a way that until, you know, until actually getting to play Dead Space, I'd only seen in film and I'd never had a game that captured that blending of genres for me. I am actually on the same page as far as the Resident Evil 4 fix. Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. I I can't really say. <laughs> so this is kind of embarrassing to admit, but I'll say I'll share for the sake of the, you know, the, this episode here. <clears throat> um, I as much as I adore sci-fi horror. I was extremely late. I feel I felt extremely late to liking it. I never, you know, I didn't get into Alien until later in life. I didn't get into like John Carpenter's The Thing until later in life. Um, the closest I had ever gotten to sci-fi horror as a kid was um, the Alien versus Predator arcade uh, game that they I, I played. I came across that, but I digress. The reason I bring that up is because Dead Space is what sold me on the genre. After I got a hold of Dead Space, then I started seeking out as much kind of like as much kinds of sci-fi horror as I could get. And the immediate draw to it was um the necromorphs. I thought their designs were like for me as someone who loves monsters, I was so blown away by them and I loved the weird shapes that they took on. I loved how no I loved how no two looked the same. And I thought that was pretty captivating. Um, and I loved how they just retained an element of human look. Holy fucking shit. Yeah. So uh, I, from a monster perspective, I was absolutely sold. And then so I when I finally just bought the game, um, my God, I was absolutely immersed in it. Absolutely immersed in it. I had other than I think like OG Resident Evil. I hadn't had an environment in a game sell me that hard or, or Bioshock even, you know, um, but so I, I say that as in like Dead Space is like a top three um, quote unquote environmental games for me. I'm absolutely just immersed. I was immersed and then the sound design. And at that point, I wasn't like nerdish enough to give a shit. Um, like now in my life, I am. But back <laughs> right. then, I would just like, you know, you hear like a pipe creak and I'd be like, oh, fuck. Um but yeah, I, I have only have extremely fond memories of the first Dead Space, and it's I, I consider it one of my all-time, all-time favorite video games. And I actually, I mean, at the time that we're recording this, I'm in the midst of playing Remake. I've had a bunch of things that I've been playing, so I haven't finished it yet, but I've been playing it. All this to say, funny enough, that I have actually never played any of the other Dead Spaces, which is very weird to say. I just, I don't know. I think Dead Space came, I think there was just so much coming out at that point in time. And then you'll have to excuse me, I don't remember when Dead Space 2 came out, but there might have just been like other shit happening in life, or I might have been taking my own break from gaming. But yeah. 2011. Um, so it came out three years College. after the original. That's what yeah. fucked it up. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing, man. Like whenever I throw out these titles that uh, people are just like, how have you never played that? I was like, oh, you know, I was in college. I had, I had some other yeah. priorities uh, <laughs> at the time for what I was getting up to. But no, you know, I think, and if you're playing the remake, I hope mm. you're playing with headphones because <laughs> that is a, you know, a panic attack in and of itself. Uh, just thanks to that audio design and how phenomenal it is and how they were able to build off of that scaffolding yes. of the original, uh, which was already stellar, but doing so in a way that it truly feels like something is a necromorph oh, yeah. is right behind you uh, at every kind of turn and whatnot. But yeah, you know, in terms of the environment, it was this really simple but fantastic execution on the, mm. the haunted house, right? You're taking the haunted house, mm -hmm. but you're putting it in space. And you know, that sounds like, okay, that's very simple. You just have one never ending hallway, right? But, you know, the Ishimura, what I loved so much about it 
was the fact that it felt like a ship, even if you couldn't really traverse it in a way that felt natural because of, you know, how restrictive and the loading times and stuff in the original. In the remake, they made it so that way you can yes. freely move about the ship once a certain section's unlocked. But in terms of the decks and the different areas that you're investigating, they resembled, you know, what a ship should resemble, right? It has different sections that logically make sense. You're going to explore an area where they're growing their food or there's a medical deck or a mining deck. And, you know, the environments themselves, I think, did a great job of making it feel like a lived in place rather than this just kind of never ending, uh, you know, metallic coffin, <laughs> if you will. Uh, and I think that it does a really great job, too, of incorporating a story that feels very logical while at the same time not necessarily being, you know, the stakes are saving the world. You know the implications for if this, you know, threat is not squashed and if it gets back to Earth. But the game itself, it feels like Isaac's story and Isaac's, you know, personal plight of trying to find his girlfriend amongst saving any survivors and stopping the necromorphs from, uh, you know, leaving the Ishimura and whatnot. It feels very contained, which I like. I like that it's not, you know, the ramifications for the entire universe constantly being shoved down your throat type of thing. Um, and that's, I think, an element that plays really well to the sort of blue collar identity, <laughs> if you will, of dead space. And, you know, you're this, this engineer and this boot, you know, boot stomping guy and whatnot. And I like that it's small scale in the sense of like, oh, this is as much about saving others as it is saving his relationship with this person that, you know, yes. ostensibly and he loves. And to the point that you, um, you just made about the main character of Isaac, um, I mean, that's something I absolutely love in my horror is that, you know, for every video game where I get to play some like super soldier badass or like some half human, half demon character, you know, like I love like good horror should make you feel defenseless. Um, it's a big reason why I love the out um, outlast games. Um, and with dead space, <clears throat> it's not that the game makes you feel defenseless but it really conveys the essence that Isaac is just some buddy. He's not a soldier. He's had no proper training. It's like, um, it's like, uh, Ethan from resident evil seven, you know, you, you, you get the sense that you are playing as a civilian. Um, and it's like a small little touch, but like, even in how you melee in dead space is so clunky. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's, I, I wouldn't say <laughs> yeah. that the movement itself is janky, but it, it it visually appears janky. You and I were, you know, throwing a punch at a crazy I monster. I throw a punch, you know, you know? kind of frantic and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> I would look that goofy. So, yeah, I um I, I love that because um I think if you were to give me like a Doom guy essence and vibe in Dead Space 2, the game wouldn't feel nearly as scary or tense it would just come off sure. as like another cool looking horror game but that's the thing i love about dead space in short is that it does genuinely feel like a survival experience well it's part of why up until the remake any dead space game i'd played i only played with the plasma cutter um, and that was more so just because it's the type of thing where when you're playing a hardcore difficulty in survival horror if you rely on one gun you don't have to worry about you know managing ammo for multiple things, then you get yourself in a sticky situation, especially when the plasma cutter is as versatile as it is. And it really is the perfect gun for that game yeah. where you have to sever the limbs, right? Um, and I think that the fact that the first gun that he gets or the first weapon is a repurposed tool mm. from his profession, and it is as viable, if not more viable for every single encounter. And it, it sidesteps the common issue with firearms and games in general, right? Where it's like the first thing you get is either a melee weapon or you get yep. uh, a pistol, right? And effectively plasma cutter operates like a pistol, but the further you get into a majority of games, you know, not just survival horror games, you know, inevitably the pistol is the last resort. Or if you, you know, don't have time to reload, you just kind of whip the pistol out and that's your sort of old reliable. But the plasma cutter has always been the gun that I've always used and I never messed around with the other ones partially, not going to say solely, but partially because it fits his character the most. 
the fact that he would be this everyday man and immediately start wielding this plasma rifle or, you know, some other type of weapon that's a little out of character for him didn't really fit that vibe that we're kind of talking about. Granted, the more that I've experimented in the remake with the other guns, you know, you have the mm. line racks, which seem like they're an industrial tool. You have the the mini rock cutter. You have the flamethrower. You've got that uh, telekinetic sort of yep. uh, saw oh, blade, which is badass thing. to use. And, you know, the more that I explored the arsenal, the more that they felt like an extension of him and his profession uh, outside of, you know, like the plasma rifle, like I said. But anyways... It was one of those things that I like to see the weapons, while they don't stray terribly far from traditional conventions of firearms and games, they at least were repurposed to reflect the world and to reflect the character that the player was. Uh, it's a more believable setting. So I 100% agree. But uh, I'd love to chat about these films that you've brought to the table today because, like I said, not only were these, you know, two films that were adapted from Dead Space that they chose to be animated, um, but they both serve as prequels to different games in the series. So naturally, we will begin with Dead Space Downfall, which was directed by Chuck Patton, and it serves as a prequel to the 2008 game. This, I believe, was released prior as almost like promotional material, kind of. But Downfall, showing the events that transpired before Isaac Clarke's arrival on the ill-fated Ishimura. Through the eyes of a security officer, the viewer learns firsthand about the marker leaving the planetside colony of Aegis 7 and the power dynamics aboard the Ishimor that allowed the necromorph scourge to invest, infest the ship. So I guess right from the start, what I thought was most interesting from a narrative standpoint with this was not so much getting to see Ground Zero, if you will, or the event that kind of is the precursor because more or less, you kind of already know that if you've played the game, right? You've got the audio logs. You also have, you know, Isaac coming across all of this information through his journey in the game. That kind of spells out what happened. What I thought was in more interesting was the character dynamics between the people that are there just as a job and then people that are there as unitologists that have that influence that comes into the marker and, you know, religious fanaticism and these things. And how that really does allow the necromorph scourge, as I put it, to uh, to leave the colony and then to spread to the ship. And the fact that these people keep getting in their own way to, uh, you know, basically getting in their own way of their own survival because they're just so inundated with this fanaticism and whatnot. Um, and it was an element that I thought they could have even explored a little bit further. But at the same time, I thought it gave us probably the most interesting new narrative aspect, even if it is touched upon in the game uh, itself. So that is, uh, spoiler alert, my one positive for this movie as well. Um, but no, I, in revisiting this movie again, just to slightly repeat, it's I have not watched either of these since they first came out. And in revisiting this, and in funny, and in replaying the remake now, I really liked the, for lack of a better term, depth that comes with the unitologist angle um i just wish there was so much more of it um i think it's fascinating the ground zero element i do understand where you're coming from i and maybe this is just splitting hairs but what kind of drew me in a little bit more with that ground zero element was uh, was the unitologist element is that angle of just like okay so this is where these fanatics are coming from and this is how they're acting and granted, we do get to see more of a little bit of that in Dead Well, not so much in Dead Space, but I, I know from footage from like the other Dead Spaces, but we get to see the psychological impact that the marker has on other people. And so as someone who's not too super familiar with those games, as far as playing them is concerned, um, being able to see that psychological element on the characters was really interesting. But yeah, the um, I, uh, I'm trying to remember the main doctor character in this is someone that had me a little interested. Again, I the characters in this are very just caricature e, uh, like our our ser our sergeant characters, our sergeant character, and our captain characters are captain character. Those are their personalities. Even the security officer, right? She's kind of just like rough you know, badass, this, you know, a badass security operative that is not willing to, you know mince words in terms of how she feels the situation's going and whatnot. But again, it kind of just feels very vo boilerplate. What's also kind of interesting though, in saying that is 
the fanatics don't feel i i mean yes there's there, and there's nuance to this but they don't feel that bland like everyone else does and i and i don't know maybe there's just a maybe there was more this might sound shitty to say but maybe there was just more effort into writing them <laughs> than everyone else um sure. and don't get me wrong a lot of this stuff is still delivered stiffly and i say delivered in terms of the writing um but there's there's a lot yeah. more to them where it's like i would kind of think this might be a copy paste kind of like cult creepy obsessive person um there's just a little bit more going on for it there and for me i don't know about you but that is it see that's a little bit of too strong of a word but it's like it was the one saving grace that kept me from like being engaged with the movie yeah you know i think that's a good way to put it because if anything the attention to and maybe to the writer's uh you know, feeling for the writers, but it was probably more fun to write the Unitologists because they're the ones that can be a little more unique, I suppose, and just, you know, their sort mm. of manic moments where it's like they're just so overcome with the fact, with their devotion in these things. Uh, even if at the end of the day, like, it's a completely preposterous type of uh, religion where it's like, I mean, the, our final, true final form was supposed to be these horrific monsters. <laughs> this is the true intention God has, for, which is it. just like, how do you get a group of people <laughs> to believe this? But at the same time, it's probably more fun to write characters like that. But I will say that, you know, out of all of them, probably the most unique character ends up being uh, the Unitologist Love Samuel him. Irons, who is sort of like the middleman, I suppose, between the Unitologist yes. and the non-believers, because... There is one scene that I thought was pretty good where it was the fact that they, you know, they uh, bring the marker onto the ship, which, you know, is clearly a fucking bad idea because of its influence on people and whatnot. But then they have this moment where the Unitologists have this clash mm. with the security forces where they're like, you're keeping this from us. This is our right and our birthright and these things. And Samuel Irons is sort of the voice of reason, even if he is a Unitologist it kind of bridges the gap between this idea that, you know, there are people, there are spectrums to yes. devotion, right? You can have people that, you know, lean to the extremes and then you have people that, you know, are very much sort of like right down the middle. Um, and that's not to say necessarily that like, this is a new take on the portrayal of religion or anything, but it felt like a very grounded and rational approach to storytelling in something that largely I think, um, is very much concerned with the extremes. Um, and that's one thing that I will say in terms of being an adaptation of Dead Space, right? Dead Space, as we've said, you know, the original game, something we love about it is how extremely hardcore horror-centric it is. But those moments only work as well as they do because the game has this nice balance of building and maintaining yeah. tension and maintaining an environment that is constantly unnerving. And the direction with this, considering how fucking short yes. too this movie is, um, it's less than 90 minutes. I think it might even be less than an hour and 20 minutes. But this movie do never kind of finds a middle ground in terms of building tension or capturing the sense of an environment that is very unnerving before the Necromorphs show up. It kind of is like almost right out the gate, right? The Necromorphs show up and it's just Necromorph slaughter, which has its merits, but it doesn't necessarily capture the feel of Dead Space in a way that, you know, is really understanding what makes the games, I think, so I terrifying. I think that kind of, you know, goes back to my Doom Guy point. Um, this movie, I think if you had never played Dead Space and I don't mean this in like an insulting way, but if you are a small child and you don't have a revived taste for <laughs> horror, um, I think it's a cool action movie. It doesn't make for a great or faithful or even strong quality, uh, Dead Space, um, story. Um, and, and part of that is because of its not understanding of the material it, it slaps on the sci-fi setting and it slaps on the necromorph look but it totally does not understand the tone or the pacing of the games um let alone also mind you and i know this is very silly to say because we are talking about video games but a big important thing about um dead space is the fact that you get to play that experience and you get to be immersed in that environment 
which again is silly because that's all video games, but also like Event Horizon, in my opinion, is an amazing sci-fi horror experience and you can't play that. So, I, you know, but I digress. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one of the biggest faults that hurts this story is the ironic fact that it is an ana- animated movie that looks far too pretty. And that's where I think animation and horror really struggle and clash at times. Um, and I would definitely, I definitely want to hear your thoughts on this, but I guess the short version I'll share for now is that, you know, there's a principle to animation and there's a principle just, yeah, there's a principle to animation that, and I'm paraphrasing this. So please, if you're an animation expert, don't get too mad at me about this, but like, um, by principle, you want to make things as perfectly as defined as possible. The idea of animation is to make something appealing to someone's eye. That doesn't necessarily make sense when you want to create the grotesque or the unclear or the abstract. And so you take these this bodily kind of almost liquidy just the duality of appealing and yet grotesque unappealing that esque of the necromorphs and aftermath or sorry downfall i'm so sorry downfall is just far too pretty looking it's not even that it's too cartoony looking um because i think there are actually some cartoony experiences that when you implement good writing can work but downfall is far too driven to give you a crisp looking experience which hurts the gore uh, and it hurts the visuals that we know from the game. Yeah, I think I would agree in that it, for me, it's almost too vibrant, right? And that's not to be like, there should be more shadows or something like that, but it's just overall, it feels a little too polished, like you had said, right? I think that it's difficult to capture the gritty scuzziness of the halls of the Ishimura or any other ship for that matter, when it is something that is like, it wants to draw your eye. It doesn't want you to look away, right? With the animation style, whatnot, which I think is kind of funny because one of the things I wanted to ask you your opinion on was the fact that this film blends traditional animation with CGI. And before I kind of go off on that a little bit, I wanted to hear your thoughts on that merger of the two because that's not necessarily a new phenomenon in animated films in general. But in this one, in 2008, uh, I'm curious, you know, how that sort of uh, blending of styles was for you. Did you find that to be appealing? Did you find that to be distracting? How did that uh, work? So actually, so when it comes to that blending of the two, there is my favorite scene of this movie is actually one scene that does kind of heavily use it. And it's weird because at first I kind of think I kind of felt it was too goofy until it transitions into that scene. And it's, um, it's 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 a side character so i cannot remember their name but it's this uh dude who's looking for his wife and he runs into this facility and he he enters this place where she's been working and it's all bloodied and fucked up and then the camera almost the camera does a hard shift into first person and we get this pan that's his eyes and you can't help but notice how clunky everything looks but still the camera really takes a a good amount of well-paced time with like a believable, like if I had just ran in there and I'm looking around and then I just, I pan myself and look into this dark hallway and then the guy's wife comes out. And it's actually one of the few graphic moments where maybe because of the pacing that the animation works well to highlight some moments of body horror which involve elements of self-harm that are just really uncomfortable and upsetting to watch um there's a thick sense of tension because you don't know yet why this woman has walked out of the shadows like this or what she's thinking and you you come to find out that she's under the control or the possession of the marker so it's a very well paced in that sense outside of that I think a lot of that shit went over my head. Um, as far as you know, it being an animation style that's much more present, I, I I have nothing against it. I think there's a lot of egregious use of it, depending on like the abundance of Netflix shows that use it. But at the same time, um, the shift to two D traditional quote unquote traditional two D animation to CGI, I think, can be a really great tool if used effectively. You know, 
but uh in dead space downfalls case i um i think it's mostly forgettable outside of that one scene yeah um i don't have very nice things to say about it so i'll try to be brief but i thought that it was noticeably distracting the mm-hmm. use of cgi because the quality of it i did not find should have been and granted maybe this has something to do with the fact ea treated this as promotional material but it doesn't feel like the same level of resources were given to making the CGI look far better than it does. To me, it almost resembles like you mentioned Saturday morning cartoons, like some 90s mm-hmm. early Saturday morning cartoon use of CGI because it just it is so blatantly contrasting against the hand-drawn animation. And it's not to say like it shouldn't be noticeable, but it's just more so that it probably plays to what you were saying. The fact that the color palette or that, you know, polish, it's too shiny for as oppressive as space should be. And that's a quality, again, in talking about the game, the fact that you're putting the haunted house in space, and even when you're going outside onto the ship and you're doing these walks and these leaps, the ship itself, the same type of oppressive nature of it is still there. And that's because I think the design of it, it kind of plays with the same similar variables the similar color palette, but in this movie, when you go from the interiors to the exteriors, it's even more apparent just how polished, how much more highly detailed, how much more vibrant the palette is, that I find it to be a jarring transition between the two. Um, into And there's just too many uses of something that I just didn't think was, uh, was well-conceived to begin with, but that's enough on that. Um, I guess one thing, though, that I would say, this film does do a good job of utilizing animation to tell a story in a way that either had not previously or just had not had been given the opportunity to is the fact that the animation gives the creatives in this film the freedom to portray what that transition from a person to a necromorph would look like. There's a couple of instances in the transition scenes where, you know, the point of origin in the game is usually uh, either claws sprout from their hands or it comes out of their kind of like collarbone area. But in this, there's one where like the claws just spurt from a guy's stomach and you see all of his guts come out and all this grotesque shit. But that in and of itself is a testament to something yeah. animation can do in a way that maybe they hadn't capitalized on previously just because they have the freedom to choose which part they want to, you know, more first or the degree to which it's going to be this grotesque sort of transformation scene. Um, And I thought that that was something that provided a couple of cool moments uh, throughout it. Cause as you said, you know, as a gory action movie, this certainly has its moments. And I think that the gore is, you know, pretty well done. Um, And just like the body dismemberment and stuff is pretty well done as well. Um, It's just a shame that, you know, it lacks some of the dead space, I suppose, identity that I wanted. I am, you know, it's the, the one other quote unquote big scene I have noted down here is um military team is in this room and one of the military characters has gone crazy. And again, this it, it isn't necessarily something that the animation is doing here, but I think it's one of the very, very few times that the movie captures the game's pacing and tone. And yeah, so we have the whole team fighting off these different necromorphs. And then all of a sudden and and we've gotten slow um glimpses of this character going mad which i also think helps build up like okay when's the ticking time bomb gonna go off and so he eventually snaps in a very brutally intense scene where um because uh this movie has cyber swords which are fucking incredible (laughs) and i wish were in the game um but he takes his sword and he just cuts it through this one other team member and he dismembers her like down the middle vertically and at this point in time in the movie you've already seen so many fucking dismemberments but this is the only one that it grossed me out um i I dare say it even upset me a little uh for how cartoonish the movie is um but it's because the movie really at that point and i think by the time he's introduced kind of being a little unhinged it's only been i think six minutes but even within that time frame, you know, there's enough pacing there to be like, okay, I am like, I'm on the edge here waiting for something fucked up to happen. And it pays off in that sense. And so, and that, and I, and I bring that up full circle here. Um, the animation in that moment, I just thought was so gross. 
And I and I think it's so fucking mm. ironic. Okay, this this actually just came to mind. This is not in my notes. So for all the detail that has gone into the necromorphs, I think it's the actual simplicity, the relative simplicity of how that moment is animated and just a typical human drawn character and then showing the details of her inside anatomy. I mean, for me, that mm. worked. That worked to give chills and discomfort me. Yeah, no, that's, I think, again, that's a layer of detail that animation can be afforded. Um, and that's a way that they can take the experience of, I, I granted at that mm. point it was one game, but, you know, even for people that have experienced the entire series, that is a way to kind of throw them a gory curveball that they weren't yes. expecting, perhaps. Um, I even think about the scene with the captain who gets stabbed in the eye with a needle. Like that was a scene mm. that made my skin crawl in a way that it was just the way it was shown. And then you see his reactions and whatnot. Um, and I think that that is also maybe a little bit of the psychology of watching an animated movie is that you are so attuned to what a majority of animated movies, like the range of mm. content that they can have, at least in my experience, because I haven't watched nearly as many animated films or shows as you have, but you know, you might go into something expecting a certain level of violence as you would with sure. this, which is R-rated and just, you know, what Dead Space is and the capacity that its monsters can, uh, you know, the, their capacity for dealing death and whatnot. But at the same time, I feel like your brain almost has to catch up sometimes to just how gruesome something is when it's animated. I don't know if there's, a, I have nothing to back that up other than just, I find myself being surprised by animated films and shows when there is a level of graphic violence that is so above what you were expecting from an animated film or just in general. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with that detail that they're afforded or the fact that, you know, they can get even more creative perhaps with violence because animation's not tethered by practical effects in these things that, you know, could probably make it happen, but it is arguably more difficult to do it in live action, uh, not to downplay, you know, the magic that is drawing, but you know, you have a, li you have more freedom. If you can, if your mind can think of it and you're an artist, chances are you can draw it in a way that is convincing or disturbing or just portraying it in a way that, um, makes it pop. Whereas if you're doing live action, it's like, well, do we have the time, the resources and the money to make that happen and the ingenuity to make it happen? So that's something that I've always thought about with animated films, um, and I would say that this movie does a good job of capitalizing on just the brutal violence of the Dead Space series um, and its kills and whatnot. So, yeah, man, before we uh, dive into Dead Space Aftermath, I guess let's just kind of round up our thoughts on Downfall, you know, as a prequel to a video game that, you know, is quite honestly a modern classic at this point. Um, how did you feel it succeeded as you know, this animated prequel to this beloved game. Mildly interesting. Um, as far as an animated work, it, you know, outside that one moment I talked about with, like, ironically, the CGI first-person uh, moment, I really think it doesn't serve much of an animated purpose other than, like, it was probably a relatively more affordable process to get this promotional material out than doing, like, a live person Dead Space project. Um, so, unfortunately, I think it kind of it fails hard. And utilizing animation for anything unique um and then as far as being dead space i think it misses the tone it misses the pacing and the approach drastically while having some moments um but all that said i kind of think an ironic silver lining-esque element is that <laughs> quote-unquote death to the unitologists i you know that's something where it's just like ah you gave me something that i really wish you dug your heels in a little bit more and gave us yeah, you know, I think that it's a film that is done no service by perhaps a lack of resources, uh, probably a lack of time as well in terms of, you know, talking about how it would be easier to make this animated is totally true. At the same time, the animation nature of it probably allowed them to make this in a much shorter window than if it was this type of live action thing. And, you know, if it had been released a few years later, or if, you know, the Dead Space timetable had been later, they probably just would have made a short live action mm. movie for um, YouTube or something, right? I could see them breaking that into a five-part video promotional series that then they put into, you know, one collective uh, sure. package and whatnot. But yeah, you know, I largely agree with what you said. It's also done a disservice by how short it is because you're not really able to craft any tension when the thing is like an hour and 15 minutes long. 
which at the same time also doesn't give you enough time to develop the one aspect, narratively speaking, that would be the most interesting angle, but also something they could dig into even more than is in the actual game. Um, and so that seems like a very much missed opportunity, unfortunately. Um, Animation-wise, I will say it gets some points for just the creative brutality that does feel Dead Space, even if, you know, overall, it doesn't feel like something that really captures the essence of Dead Space. But as a piece of promotional material, I suppose, you know, people that don't aren't familiar with Dead Space, they haven't really known anything about the game, like, you have a lot worse examples, True. I think, uh, over the years of bad video game promotional material. And I would say that this at least escapes being offensive or just, you know, comically bad. I'll just say it's kind of a shoulder shrug Very for fair. me. But let's get into Dead Space Aftermath, which came out three years after this and serves as the prequel to Dead Space 2. Um, and this film was co-written and directed by Mike Dissa. This film picks up in 2059 as survivors aboard the ship USG O'Bannon try to recall the horrific events that wiped out their crew. Um, notably, unlike Aftermath, or this is Aftermath, unlike Downfall, Same. I keep getting these titles confused. Unlike Downfall, this film notably does not have a linear narrative in the same way. Rather, it's a blending of anthology and POV storytelling to reveal what led to the O'Bannon disaster from multiple character points of view. Um, so I thought that this was a very interesting narrative approach to take with this film. Granted, when you think back to the previous film that was a prequel to the original Dead Space, that was very much kind of it has the vibe of it feeling very safe in terms of what people expect from promotional material, not something to get people too bogged down with in terms of narrative or lore. It feels very approachable. And Aftermath feels like it makes a conscious effort to try something new or to appeal perhaps to more hardcore players or just the fact that you're going into this film. If you know what Dead Space is, there's a fandom there now after the success of the first game. You're going into the sequel. There were fans of the original, obviously. So they have some creative liberties that they can take. Well, fun little piece of trivia for this. Uh, apparently, you know, multiple staff members um, who worked on this also worked on the Dante's Inferno adaptation, uh, the animated adaptation of the video game adaptation. Um, and that is also a multi-animated approach as well. Yes. So... Um, as as someone who's obviously you've obviously played the game, but any time the movie goes into like a new circle of hell, it takes on a different animation style. That's a great segue into why this film has the animation decisions that it does. And, you know, notably, the director said his inspiration was Akira Kurosawa's Rashomon, which I don't necessarily know if I was going to be adapting a video game into a film, an animated film that acts as a prequel that I would just kind of like blatantly be like, yeah, you know, uh, one of the best films ever made was the inspiration. It's like, we're kind of picking <laughs> up on that influence. That influence is so well known that anybody that tries to tell this style of storytelling immediately, it's clear like, oh yeah, that, how could that not be a source of, uh, of inspiration? Course. You're kind of almost setting yourself up to have shoes that are too big for you to fill. But I will say that it's very interesting from an animation standpoint that when each character is recalling what happened and their perception of events, which to be fair, narratively also is very interesting because the way in which the marker has this mm -hmm. influence over people and it can distort their perception of events, of reality, and you know make them hallucinate, which is a recurring theme in both films. Um, I liked how the animation shift between each of those segments does reflect, you know, somebody else's point of view and how distorted that could be. Um, I thought that that kind of like what we said earlier, that's an example of animation that carries some of the narrative weight of the type of story that's being told, because it is very clearly, you know, shifting focus. So the sort of animation style is shifting as well. Um, now, much like with the previous film, I was not a fan of all the styles of animation, particularly the CGI sort of thread that is connecting all of these points of view together, which is kind of like these people being interrogated by the uh, EarthGov and whatnot. That kind of was like very 
garish kind of CGI that I did not think looked well, uh, looked good at all. Again, taking it back to like the 90s sort of Saturday morning cartoon that was like, hey, we got this CGI budget, this crazy new technology, but it ends up really clashing with the other animation styles that are a little more, I would say, a little more refined in their inspiration styles that they're going for. Um, but I can't wait to hear what you think about the use of animation in this um, and how it, you know, whether it was a uh, a helper or a hindrance so, to storytelling here. For one, um, the the we'll call it the baseline, the base animation that's used for the modern present story is such ass. Uh, that, that that's that's my big like <laughs> philosophical poetic take. It is fucking awful. Um, but I do want to say something. Well, of course, I'm going to say things. Jesus Christ. Um, I have not seen this movie in years, obviously. And that's all I could remember. So when we get our first POV shift, I was super, oh my God, I was super excited by it because I totally forgot the movie does that. And to uh, Aftermath's credit, while in many cases it still has that issue of being too polished for a horror experience and especially too polished in the case of dead spaces experience. Um, I actually think there are several instances compared to downfall, several instances where the animation actually does serve to um, help exude more horror. And I think if I were to generalize it shortly, uh, and something I do like about this movie a lot more compared to Aftermath, and I think it's more so for the purposes of the angle that Dead Space 2 embraces much more than Dead Space 1, is there's much more psychological horror at play compared to body horror. The body horror element and physical violence of Aftermath happens towards the end of the film. It's actually a very small quantitative bit of it minus some like brief random moments of violence that happen throughout, but um, it's, it's mostly a psychological work and it's mostly suspenseful work. And um, in particular, I, I, there were a couple instances that throughout the different POVs, I thought, Oh yeah, this, that's really creepy. Or like, Oh shit, that's, that's creepy how they did that. Um, The one segment or short that particularly worked really well for me was, um, I can't remember what his title is, but uh, the Nolan Strauss or Strauss short. Um, I th- he's he's mm-hmm. he has some tie to like the big wigs that put er- asked everyone to go down and get the marker fragment, whatever have you. Um, his um, I think it's Aeon. It's not Aeon Flux. There used to be this MTV cartoon adult animated show that was about this spy woman. I digress. It is Aeon Flux. I think it's Aeon Flux. Yeah, okay. that sounds So that it sounds reminds right, me yeah. a lot of that. And for that show, animation works really well to present this gritty cyberpunk-ish or sci-fi world. And in the case of the Straw segment, the animation has just worked really effectively well to present his madness um, and his distortion of reality. I don't know if it's like a brilliant blend of realistic meets... Um, supernatural magic magical things uh elements that would be tough to, very tough to present in real person without cgi and it's all just seamlessly flows together in animation um but i thought his segment was uh significantly fantastic yeah fantastic um for just the amount of dread pursuits and yeah i think you know whereas downfall just looks too flashy and too polished you know, this is actually a side note. Um, it does remind me of some of the creepier shorts that were actually done in um, Animatrix. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, what I'm trying to say is I think animation works really well in this case for the psychological horror element. Yeah, no, man, absolutely. I think that if there was something that I could credit this film with, it is that, right? Is that the animation and the volatility with which they kind of are changing up the styles in between these shorts uh, or segments, rather. It does do a great job of playing against the hallucinations, which you know were featured in the previous film. And here, I think it's even more so because the hallucinations are a little mm. bit different for everybody. And in the fact that they're being portrayed in different animation styles, 
it takes on a more surreal quality, I think, to what they are seeing, right? It's it's jarring, but it works in a way that it didn't work in Downfall because in Downfall, the jarring nature is you're going from scene to scene where you have these two things that already don't really fit the world. And one of them is of a quality that there's no mm. real excuse for of why it looks the way it looks. In this, again, talking about changing perspectives people that are suffering different types of hallucinations, it does present this sort of fantasy world element to what they are seeing. And it calls into question the validity of their recanting of what happened and whatnot. Um, and it played in a way that I thought was very interesting. And it just, it gives this film more of an identity that separates it from just being downfall 2.0. Now, in my opinion, I thought, the first half of the movie was like pretty boring, to be honest. Uh, and the generally overall, like the first half and the segment that it's recalling is kind of like a shrug for me in a way, because it just kind of is tapping into what feels like stories that you heard about in mm. the Dead Space games. And it's just kind of like along the lines of, well, this one guy's got a kid and, you know, the kid might be dead on Earth or it might not be. And now he's seeing the kid on in space. Like, it's kind of just a very boilerplate sort of, I suppose, microcosm storytelling amongst the crew. So I wasn't captivated necessarily by a majority of them outside of the Strauss one, like you said. It was more about the way in which these stories were presented rather than the actual story that was being told. Yeah, I no, think, I, I, I do, for the most part, agree with you there. I think as far as like, you know, it's it's the line you said uh, for Downfall, but as far, like as far as like a promotional product, I actually do think all the stories work. Like, I think it's cool if you're coming into this and you're just looking for like a small taste of dead space. Um, I do want to shout out the, uh, the Kuttner story just because uh, one particular moment where I thought, again, the animation looked really good or the animation did something that was really compelling. I couldn't help, you know, again, like referring back to that baseline present day animation, everything just looks so ass. And the moment we get of his daughter just like <laughs> bleeding from her eyes and from her face, I'm like, Jesus Christ, uh, there's a cartoon that comes to mind um that that animation looks extremely similar to and i just want to i can't remember what it is for the life of me but uh it's so goofy looking i would describe that animation style as being like those uh those toonami uh commercials that they had like that's the type of animation style that i think you know toonami animation looked a lot better than that but it it feels like it is so dated in aftermath considering it's from 2011 that it's I just I don't understand how they settled on that animation style, considering when you look at the different segments, some of the animation in that is really, really great. And you can tell it was a labor of love in these things. And then that's what they settled on for the present day storytelling. And it just it's kind of like, did they just run out of time? Did they run out of money? Perhaps that yes is the answer to both of those questions. But it was the type of thing where I was kind of just like fuck, man, this is yeah. so distractingly bad that every time there's something interesting narratively with one of those segments, I immediately was just reminded of like, oh, man, like this could have been so much more if it wasn't sort of like shackled a little bit by this blatantly shit. It's, it's just so egregious. But um, I, I wanted to bring up the Kuttner story because so, yeah, there's that moment with her with the daughter that like the eyes and it's just like way too goofy. I can't take it seriously. But then so then I, you know, I find I remember I recall that we get the the cut, the hard cut to the different animation style. And then we see, you know, from his POV story, uh, his perception of his daughter and we get her, you know, ghostly her ethereal shape appearing on the planet. And uh, my God, like she still technically is very like polished and drawn in a, you know, a cutesy manner. But there's that one moment, if you recall, where he's looking at her ethereal ap apparition. And um, I forget like what happens just before it. Um, so what leads up to this, but like she's just like looking at him and then the, the score, like it, it, it takes a beat and then her head just starts twisting. And I was like, that's that's a moment where it's like you suckered in suckered me in with a traditional kind of colorful appeal. Not kind of, it is colorful. A traditional colorful appeal of a character. And then you just gave me something that's just so abrasive. 
and that that's the standout moment from that like i think even because like even to you know the the issues you may take with some of the story beats in these segments i think the animation does serve really well in moments in each of these segments um you know story-wise the one that doesn't appeal to me is uh the the mechanic or the engineer with the one robotic arm there's not too much that that does for me story-wise but i'm never gonna forget how the fire is animated in that short specifically the the people who are just like combusting there's that one scene where it's like i think um it's their head that the guy who guides them down to the planet initially but like he's standing there like all badass and the lava comes and then you see that the because of the lava catching him on fire the actual start of the fire, well, while it starts on it starts on the outside, um, there's a moment where flames burst from out of his mask, and that shit's hard. And like how they do that burning animation, so it's like, and, and again, even you can make complaints that that's too polished. I, I, because I feel that way too. But it's so much. This movie, you cannot fault it for being much more visually striking. Yeah, I would say overall, I preferred this. To downfall, uh, not only from a technical standpoint, but also it and, you know, again, like the the Rashomon angle is not revolutionary or anything, but I think that it makes for a much more interesting vessel for exploring the world of dead space than another straightforward linear sort of just, hey, man, the the necromorphs got on this ship again and it's all fucked up and we got to try to contain this and then inevitably fail. I think that it makes for a much more interesting look at the types of storytelling that could be told in Dead Space. And arguably, it's the most interesting narrative style of storytelling in Dead Space. Now, again, I have my reservations with certain parts of it and whatnot, but I think that it makes for re-exploring this sort of narrative in this world, it makes for something that's a little more engaging just on the face of it capturing the psychological aspects of the character's their plight and the animation really supporting that um, in a way that makes this just more visually engaging. It makes it more narratively engaging. Um, and ultimately, I think they were able to take because those are I mean, that's a pretty big risk to uh, and granted. I don't know if this was released as a piece of promotional material again, uh, as you know, the downfall was. But at the same time, you know, they had more liberties, it seems, to tell a story the way they wanted to and to take Mm. some more risks, narratively speaking, because this had a fandom around it where Downfall obviously did not have that sort of luxury, that creative luxury. Um, And I think that it's a testament to the idea that, you know, if you're going to make an animated adaptation of something horror or otherwise – you can tell stories that are familiar in a way that bucks the trend set by the actual source material, which when I think about, you know, like the Resident Evil has a bunch of animated movies, any clips I've ever seen from those, it just looks like a cutscene sure. from the game. And it looks exactly like what you've gotten from those games with something like this. And, you know, that's fine if that's for some people and whatnot, if they people enjoy that, that's fine. But in terms of something like this, I think it's much more interesting to return to a universe that I'm already a fan of and having a story told in a more complex manner um, than just more of exactly what you'd expect. Um, doesn't always work, but that's true of anything, right? I think anytime you take a risk narratively or creatively, um, it's not always going to work perhaps to the best of what you intended, but I think it makes for a more engaging product. Well, I think that's, I, I mean, that's one of, and granted that's a big part of the series, but I think that's something people creative should be doing in the form of adaptation. The, ad, the, the art of adaptation is where you should be making big swings. I mean, from a, from a capitalist perspective, that's a scary thing to say because you want to, it, well, the, the, the delivery of downfall is kind of like, ironically, the quote unquote, like perfect thing you would want to do to sell a product it's like oh do you want to know everything that happened before on the ishimura like yeah that that's an easy 101 marketing pitch kind of thing whereas like i i am actually like really intrigued that you know whoever you know someone greenlit the fact you know greenlit aftermath is like you know let's swing for the fences go with all the different animation styles, go with that one ass style that we'll just use for some reason. I'm not going to drop that. Um, But, you know, do something unique and give us a little bit 
of a different look into characters and the settings of this world. And <clears throat> I, I do like that this movie swings for the fences. I would I would rather take a um, goofy, non-perfect work of art that at least tries something than something that's far too safe. Don't think I can put it any better than that. That's very much how I feel about adaptations as well. Um, and yeah, you know, I think that's what makes adaptations and, you know, the furthermore, continuing the series with you diving into more adaptations and just really fixating on the deviations, right? We've been talking a lot about, you know, how accurately something can be depicted or adapted, but at the same time, you know, paying just as much attention and really highlighting the times when it does take these creative swings that send a series or a film in a direction that might differ from the games, but sometimes there is great success in that. And just finding this balance of being faithful and then not just delivering on, you know, a longer cutscene or something along those lines. Um, so yeah, man, it was a pleasure as always getting to always. have you on to chat. Uh, not only adaptations, but also, you know, getting to dive into animated horror, which is not something that I've done much of uh, in the time that I've done the podcast and even just in my personal life. But it makes me want to seek out more uh, horror films that uh, utilize animation. Like I know there's a Train to Busan uh, yep. sequel that's called, uh, I think it's Soul Station. Like I've never seen that. And now I've just like put that to the top of my watch list on Letterboxd. But uh, but yeah, Michael, as always, man, uh, it's a pleasure having you on to continue our chat about uh, film adaptations of video games. Jay, it's always awesome to be on here. You know, I love talking about this stuff. I love being also having the chance to talk about animated horror. I think it, there's a lot more to talk about than even, you know, than what we talked about here. And we covered a lot of, small conversations within the greater conversation here so you know any chance to be able to talk about the art form and champion it even for not super great works or mediocre works that do something interesting i um, i'm always thankful for that and always you know having this series with you and i'm looking forward to our next talk absolutely man thank you for listening to another episode of daily horror habit you can follow the show on twitter at daily horror pod or give me a follow at not funny j thanks again for listening and i'll see you guys next week